Now, he only has a little bit of time left. And these are the final words to his closest friends. We've been studying over these past numerous weeks these words of Jesus on the night that he would be arrested to be crucified. We've studied already chapters 14 and 15 of the Gospel of John as Jesus uses these last few moments before his crucifixion to to remind his followers of some things, to warn them of some things, and to speak truth into them. We've gone from the intimacy of the upper room and just where they experienced Jesus washing their feet. They experienced what we now call the Last Supper. Judas, during that time, got up and left to betray Jesus. Jesus let them know in that upper room that he was leaving them. And where he was going, they weren't able to follow, with, follow him, at least not yet. So he's dropping some serious truth on them. He's letting, he's letting them know that trouble is coming their way. In chapter 15, we joined them on the walk as they left the upper room and made their way towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And we looked at the major idea of that chapter. That as they're walking, that as Jesus would often do, he would use his surroundings to teach something, to bring a spiritual truth. And as he's walking, he's seeing the vineyards as they're walking by, and he uses the vineyards, and, and he shares with them this amazing, memorable metaphor with them. Where he says to his disciples, I am the vine, and you are the branch. And we looked at that idea of what it means to be the branch. And, and, we, and we found some amazing things in that chapter. We saw Jesus' Jesus's priority in our relationship with him. That his priority is all about connection. That we are told numerous times to stay connected, to abide in him, to remain in him. And that's where we will experience and receive everything we need to accomplish everything he's called us to. He has prioritized connection over production because he says, you know what, you stay connected to me and allow me to worry about the production. Allow me to worry about the fruit. Because he says, if you disconnect from me, you can't do anything. And this week, we are starting in chapter 16. And the next And the title of the next leg of our journey here is a series I'm calling No Matter What Comes Through That Door. Because what we're seeing here is Jesus is preparing them for the challenges and the struggles. He uses that word trouble often. He's preparing them for the trouble that is just on the other side of that door that they need to be ready for. He doesn't want them to be caught off guard or surprised by it. So he's telling them, here is what's coming. 
And this all reminds me of a moment in the movie Gladiator. Personally, top five greatest movies of all time, where we find Maximus is in the Roman Colosseum, and he's expected to fight to the death for the entertainment of the crowd there. He and the other prisoners are waiting for something or someone, and they don't know, they don't know what's going to come through that gate. And the reality is, they don't really have a chance. All they know is something is coming through that door that will probably end their life. All they know at this point is, is this, that no one in that crowd is betting on them. They are in every way the underdog. So they're waiting, they're tense, and they have recognized so far that Maximus was some former commander somewhere, and that he actually has battlefield experience. So what they do in this moment is they, is they listen to him as he is preparing them for what's going to come through that door. And what he is telling them is this. He's saying, whatever comes through that door, here's some things you need to remember and not forget. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing for his followers here in chapter 16. And one of the words we see repeated throughout this discourse is the word, remember. This word is, here's what you need to intentionally not forget. That is kind of the basis and the understanding of this word that he is, that he is using. Here is something that you need, you need to intentionally not forget. He, essentially, he's saying, write it down. So we're going to see that again today as he prepares them for the challenges and the troubles ahead. But before we get into this, what I want you to do is this. I want you to think you are in that Roman Colosseum. You're standing there on that dusty, hard ground with Maximus and the other prisoners. The doors are shut. Maybe someone carved 2023 into them, and you don't know what will come through it or what will happen next. But you also don't want to get caught off guard, and you want to be prepared. So here in chapter 16, Jesus is going to talk with his disciples about why he is having this hard conversation with them. We've seen it already in this series as we've studied chapters 14 and 15. He's telling them things they don't want to hear. But Jesus was a preacher. And to be honest, that's part of what a preacher does. They say things that people don't want to hear. And if a preacher is always saying what you want to hear, then they're not preaching. They're just talking. So he's saying truth to them, even though it's uncomfortable. And, it's going, and he's going to say, why? So we're in chapter 16, the Gospel of John, starting in verse 1. He says, all of this. So he's referring to chapters 14 and 15 already, saying, all of this I've already told you 
so that you will not fall away. We're talking about these things now, he's saying, so you don't fall away later. That word fall away, maybe in some of your Bibles, it could be translated as stumble. The disciples, you have to imagine this, the disciples have been walking with Jesus for about three years now. He was always with them, so things went pretty smoothly because he took care of everything. If there was a challenge or a struggle, Jesus was on it. But now, now the journey is about to go in a different direction for the disciples because Jesus has told them that he's no longer going to be with them. And now, because of that, he's warning them about what might make them stumble. Think about that. You know, if you're walking along, things are going well. What is it that causes you to get tripped up or stumble? Right? If you're kind of just like walking along like this, and you kind of like stumble like this, what do you usually do? Right? You kind of look back, and you kind of go back, and you see what you tripped over. So everyone that saw you saying, it wasn't me, I, I tripped over something, you go back to that thing to make sure everyone sees that, no, it was something. You kind of look down, and you point at the sidewalk, and you're like, oh, you, it was, there's a crack. It was a crack, people. That's what I tripped over, right? You go back, and you recognize that there was something that made you get tripped up. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing for his disciples here. He's saying, look, he's saying there's going to be some things in the path that you need to be prepared for. So what causes, what causes you to stumble is not what's in your path. It's that you didn't know it was going to be there. That's why you trouble. Because if you see something, you're going to step over it, right? If you know it's there, you're going to step over it. It's, when, you get, when you stumble, you get tripped up. It's usually because you didn't know it was going to be there. And that's what causes you to stumble. And Jesus wants to warn them about what's in the path, about the objects that they can expect, because if they can expect it, then they can deal with it. And if they don't see it coming, if it surprises them, if it catches them off guard, and they're, then they're going to be more vulnerable to falling away. So he wants them to understand why he's having this conversation. And he continues in verse 2. He says, For you will be expelled from the synagogues. Essentially what he's saying is he's going to be kicked out of church. That place, you know, that you really want to be accepted in, that place where you want to be admired, you're going to be expelled, he says. And he goes on, and he says, the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. Can you imagine the silence in this conversation as Jesus is talking about the disciples being killed? Jesus said, a day is coming. A day is coming when some of you, he says, will be killed. And he's saying that to us as well today. There is a day that is coming. It might not be that you're killed, but he's saying there is a day that is coming. There's a day that's coming that you're going to experience trials, 
and difficulties. There's a day that's going to come when you experience struggles and, and troubles. There's a day that's coming when you're going to lose loved ones. Did you say there's a day that is coming? And he continues on in verse 4. He says, yes, he says, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I'm telling you these things now, he says, because when it happens, I don't want you to think that I didn't know it was going to happen. I don't want you to interpret the circumstances and the difficulties that come through that door as some indictment on me as God. I don't want you to think that this caught me off guard. I don't want you to interpret those circumstances as evidence that I am not in control or this wasn't part of my plan. He says, I'm telling you these things now so that when they do happen, that you will have trust in me. I'm telling you these things now so you'll be ready later. So Jesus is saying, I'm having this conversation with you so that you won't stumble. The New Living Translation says it this way. He says, so that you won't abandon your faith. I'm telling you that you're going to experience these things that are going to try to trip you up. These troubles, these struggles, these challenges. And I'm telling you these things now so that you won't abandon your faith when it starts to happen. So that you won't lose your faith in me. Remember, we have talked about this word. It's this idea of putting your full weight on something so that you can move forward. And Jesus is saying here, he's saying, I'm telling you this now so that when things go differently than what you had hoped, you know that you can still put your weight on me. That you don't abandon your faith. And you know what? It, this happens a lot in the church. Maybe because people come to church and they hear the parts of the gospel that are the most appealing, and then the preacher of the church kind of leaves out the fine print, right? And they have this idea that once they become a follower of Jesus, everything is supposed to just be good for them from now on. Then unfortunately, sometimes in church, you have this culture where people pretend that everything is good for them. I know we don't have that problem here at this church. None of us ever pretend that everything's good in our life. And some people see that, and then they start thinking, well, why am I struggling? Why am I struggling then? Joe and Jan seem to have this amazing, perfect marriage. That's what it looks like. That's what they put out there. But why do me and my spouse are, are having these amazing, deep difficulties and struggles? Well, the thing is, they're pretending. And they want to look strong. And if you follow Jesus, it's, you, know, and, you know, there's this idea that if you follow Jesus, it should just be rainbows and butterflies. Right? It's this constant idea that if you follow Jesus, then it's all good. 
And Jesus warns them because he loves them. And he doesn't want them to fall away. He doesn't want them to stumble. He doesn't want them to abandon their faith. And in those moments, he doesn't want them to be thrown off when it does happen, when they experience trouble. Your time will come. And I'm warning you now so you'll be ready when it happens later. And maybe some of us have been around others that made it sound like following Jesus. Well, it, well, it felt like they were Jesus recruiters, right? If you just raise a hand, pray a prayer, then it will be sunny with a high of 25 degrees every day of your life for the rest of your life in your future. And when that doesn't pan out, when it's not 25 degrees out and sunny, but it's stormy and it's cold, it just, it, it's, just, it's much more damaging to your faith when you think that's what it's about. If you think, well, I raised my hand one time. I prayed a prayer. I go to church, you know, every once in a while. Sunny and beautiful weather every day. That should be my future, right? But when that storm comes, you're going to be thrown off. Because that's not what you've been prepared for. So Jesus is honest with them. And I think this is helpful for, for us in the church and our culture right now because I think this explains why a lot of people fall away and will fall away in this season. A social, sociologist named Christian Smith studied why people drop out of church and why they fall away from their faith. And here's his conclusions in his study. He says this, he says that many people call themselves Christian. They self-identify as a Christian. But the religion that they are practicing isn't Christianity. Instead, it's what he calls moral therapeutic deism. Moral therapeutic deism. And here's how we can define that. And it's this. It's this idea of worshiping a God who blesses people who are good, nice, and fair, and helps believers be happy and feel good about oneself. That's not Christianity, people. That's not what it means. That's not what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It's not, you're good. You be good and God will make you happy for the rest of your life. That's not it. And I'm sorry if I'm bursting some bubbles, but that's just not it. Jesus tells us to take up a cross and to follow him. He says we will identify with him in suffering. So when that doesn't match up, here's the way Christian Smith puts it. He says, when this naive and coldly utilitarian view of God crashes on the hard rocks of reality, we shouldn't be surprised to see people of any age walk away. Be ready. Be ready. So you don't fall away. So you don't stumble in your faith when you really need it the most. So Jesus only has this little time left. And as we've seen, he's warning them about, about the trouble they are experiencing, about being rejected and opposed and hated. 
If you read this discourse all the way through, and if you're like me, you're waiting to turn for it to turn a corner here, right? You keep waiting for it to shift a little bit. Like, hey, he's going to turn the corner and say, hey, you know what? You guys can do this, right? But he never shifts. And he says, here's what's coming through those doors, but you guys got this. Doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know what? You're trained. You're ready. You're strong enough. You're smart enough. You've got this. It doesn't happen. (laughs) As you read throughout the rest of this discourse. But that's not the message of the gospel, though. The message of the gospel is not, you can do it. It's not, the message is not, you're strong enough. You can deal with all of this all, all on your own. The message of the gospel is a message of you can't, but God can through Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. You can't, but God can. And this is what Jesus does. He gets them to this place where they start to realize that. The worst thing that could happen is for them to have this false sense of confidence that says, you know what, I got this. I don't need to be prepared. I don't need, Jesus, we don't need to talk about that. We've got this. We're good. It's the worst thing because they don't get it. So as they're walking along listening to this, they'll probably reach a point where they recognize, you know what, I don't got this. And because you're leaving, I need help. And that's exactly the place where Jesus wants to bring them and, brings, and bring us. We're going to talk a little bit next week about where this help comes from. But here's what I, where, where I want us to land today. is understanding that sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is to say, I don't got this and I need help. Sometimes that is the most spiritual thing that you can do. The thing is, we're not good at saying this, right? It goes, it goes completely against our Western culture of you know, self-empowerment ideology. So I thought it would be good to practice this. You don't have to mean it. I just want you to practice. I just want you to practice saying it. So I want you to say this out loud, and I want you to repeat after me. I don't get this. By the sounds of that, you don't. Let's try it again. It's okay. No one's around, right? Just say it out loud. It's okay. I don't get this. I need help. And you know what? This is where God meets you. When you're able to say that honestly and earnestly, I don't got this. I need help. This is exactly where God meets you. And if you would just stop making excuses, if you would just stop blaming people for your circumstances, if you would just be honest with the fact that you don't get it and that you actually need help. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. You know, the idea that when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because in my weakness, the power of Christ has an opportunity to show off. When I say I need help, I'm opening up that door for the power of God to be demonstrated in my life. I think this is probably what got Peter 
in trouble a lot, definitely even in this same evening. Because earlier in the evening, Jesus has been with him in the upper room. And after the eight, Jesus had this awkward conversation with Peter, right? You remember that conversation where Jesus kind of said, Hey, Peter, just, just so you know, before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. Just, just letting you know. Peter was insulted. And he's like, nah-uh, nah-uh. Not me. Maybe some of these guys, Jesus. Definitely not me. What is he saying in that moment, really? Well, what Peter is saying is to Jesus, it says, I got this, Jesus. He's expressing his confidence in himself. And you know what happened later on with that story. He didn't have it. He didn't at all. And for many, this is the story of our lives. There's some things that come through that door that are significant, but we want to keep them a secret because we don't want anyone to know that we need help. We don't ask God for help because sometimes we're responsible for what comes through that door, right? And we start to think, well, why would he help me after what I just did? So Jesus is making it clear to them that there's some things coming through that door and you need to be ready and you can't do it on your own. In the Old Testament, um, there's a story um, about the battle between the Israelites and the Amalekites in Exodus 17. What you need to keep in mind is that at this point here, as the Israelites are going to this battle, at this point, the Israelites had zero zero training for battle. Remember, they've just spent hundreds of years being slaves. Zero training. Zero preparation. Zero experience. In this battle with the Amalekites, it looks like this is an easy, easy win for the Amalekites. So Moses says to Joshua, he says, you be the commander here, and you go to battle. He says, for me, I'm you see that hill? I'm going to go up this hill right here. And while Moses is up there, he raises his hands in prayer. And at some point, he realizes that when his hands are raised, the Israelites are winning. They're gaining ground. But when he lowers his hands, they start losing momentum. They start losing ground. They start losing the battle. And I wonder at what point where Moses may saw that. It's like, wait a second. He's like, oh, wait a second. And then like, oh, oh, oh. You know, like the moment he realized, oh. Because of that, he gets some support, right? He gets some support to help him hold his hands up because he knows he can't do that on his own. His arms are going to get tired and eventually they're going to start going down and he's realizing the moment his hands start going down, the Israelites are losing. So I answered, I don't got this. I need help to keep my hands lifted high so the Israelites will win this battle. And maybe this is one of the reasons why we might raise our hands when we worship and pray. And I know that expression might make some uncomfortable depending on your experiences and your upbringing. 
But really, it's just it's an expression of weakness. It's really what it is. Like, think about it this way. Think about when you had a smaller child, right? And a child lifting up their hands, looking up at you like this, to be taken care of. It's an expression of dependence. It's physically saying, I need help. It's a posture of asking for help. So here's what we're going to do. During our final song, I want to invite us, I want to invite you to take the posture of Moses while we worship and pray that the battle belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to the Lord. That I don't have what it takes. You know, there's too much going on right now. I can't fix these things. My strength and my confidence needs to be in Christ. So sometimes, sometimes, the most spiritual thing that you can do is to say, I don't got this. And I need help. And you make room for God in your life to demonstrate his power. God, we thank you for the warnings that you provide here in your word about what's coming our way as followers of Christ. I pray that we allow you to prepare us for what's going to happen later. Lord, that there's going to be things that will try to trip us up in our path. That will make us try to, that will try to cause us to stumble or fall away or abandon our faith. I pray we just pay attention to you and we remember the things that you've warned us about. So we could be prepared and ready for that so we don't disconnect from you and so we don't abandon our faith. Lord, help us with that. Lord, allow us to remind ourselves that we don't got this and we need your help. So we ask that you will just help us. Help us to live the life that you called us to live. We pray this in your name. Amen.